Hey up, I'm Nathan Human, and this is episode 9 of The Biscuit Reviews. After a TV sci-fi double bill last time, this episode we're back to the books with Adrian Tchaikovsky's Children of Memory, but up first, Possible Worlds and Other Stories by Rachel Handley. So put the kettle on and let's get cracking. Children of Memory is the final book of a trilogy by prolific sci-fi writer Adrian Tchaikovsky. The first one in the series, Children of Time, won the Arthur C. Clarke Award for Science Fiction, the UK's most prestigious science fiction prize. But to kick us off, we have a first for the Biscuit Reviews as writer Rachel Handley joins me to talk about their collection, Possible Worlds and Other Stories, which was inventive and a whole lot of fun. Which is kind of handy, as if I hadn't enjoyed the stories, it would have made for a pretty awkward chat wouldn't it? But don't worry, this isn't like Parky and Meg Ryan, so you're in for a treat. In other words, if you were me, what would you do now? Well, just wrap it up. I reckon that a majority of the books, TV shows and podcasts I get into now are via people I follow on social media. But it's extra special when the book in question has actually been written by someone you follow and have chatted with, even if just briefly. Although, after ordering the book, you then realise it also comes with a teensy bit more of Ooh, I do hope this is good, than normal. So I had the double delight when firstly, Possible Worlds and Other Stories arrived and was enormous fun to read, and then secondly, when its author Rachel Handley agreed to have a chat with me about the collection. Hi everyone, um, I'm Rachel Handley, um, I'm a philosopher um, based at um, Trinity College Dublin, I'm also a science fiction author and a poet. Tell me a bit about then Possible Worlds and Other Stories. It's a short story collection and a lot of the stories in the collection are kind of philosophy inspired and that's because obviously like my day job is academic philosopher Um, and it's a collection that could be read kind of you can read the stories standalone but some of them also interlink and connect and it's something that's kind of like a nice little easter egg hunt I think when you're like when you get to the ones that do connect to to each other Um, and yeah I mean the stories are kind of largely speculative um some of them are on the afterlife some of them are about sentient spaceships some of them about um a world made entirely of crabs so you know you've got your pick (laughs) in terms of like different themes and so on I was thinking that because not just with the title story there are a few that tie into that same narrative and it kind of felt like there's a whole novel there somewhere it maybe maybe there could be a novel kind of based in one of the worlds i mean certainly there are, there are certain stories in there that i would love to kind of expand and, and make much bigger but what i wanted to do with the collection itself was just to have those like nice little links between some of them yeah i'm already i'm already writing like a novel and it's and it's different so <laughs> so i can't possibly give myself another project <laughs> so it's not based on any of those ones in the short story collection though no no in fact i started writing the novel way before i started writing the the collection um and then i had to take a pause from writing the novel because i had to finish my phd <laughs> that became a bit more pressing <laughs> um and and then we had the pandemic and then, you know, I moved to Dublin mid-pandemic and I just haven't been able to get back to it until this summer. So I, I suppose PhD, pandemic and movement, they're acceptable excuses. We'll let you off on that one. They're, they're kind of <laughs> yeah, 
thank you. They're kind of all right. And um, I was always thinking one of the main things that struck me was about the world building in yours. So I was kind of curious as to how interested are you in explaining how they're possible? So like mechanics or logic of the worlds and how much of it is just, this seems really interesting. This is what I want to write about. Because there's so much detail of finding how you describe everything, particularly like smells. I mean, usually people describe what you see, but I thought in a lot of yours, there's lots of smells and textures. Yeah, so I think part of that, like the texture smell thing is probably just coming from me and how I experience the world. Um, But another part of it might be that um, when you do certain kinds of therapy, and I've done a lot, (laughs) is when you have to do certain exercises in in like CBT, for example, you have to come up with imaginary scenarios that include all the senses. (laughs) And having to do that for like a few years um, ended up informing like my creative writing as well. Um, So I think it just makes it more realistic for me when I'm writing it and so that that's that's kind of why it ends up fitting there and how about then that that world building do you kind of go for or is it something you think about a lot with right I must explain how this works and how it's possible or is it more for you I just want to write about what's interesting people can just guess how it works I think a lot of it is is the latter um so I tend to just write stories because I think oh yeah that sounds that sounds quite fun so like with the the world made of crabs that just seemed like a fun idea um on I thought okay I'll go with this and I remember showing my partner um he was like no <laughs> do not include this in the book that's like you are wrong I'm going to include the crabs <laughs> um and that that seemed to pay off people seem to like the crab story world building sometimes comes after you've done the initial story mm-hmm. so you might think okay this this story is really cool but how do we put that into like the kind of main structure of some of the other stories without giving too much away um the crab story um kind of interlinking back to the title story possible worlds you know that that was very much kind of on purpose and, and trying to make these things like tie together so I think that, yeah, I think that like a lot of world building in that sense comes from like the editing process rather than rather than like your initial view. One of my favorites in there, We the Gold, that was initially like a standalone. And then when I started to expand on it and write a bit more, I realized, oh, okay, this does fit. And it's it's kind of like your characters are like, hey, <laughs> we we could fit here, it'd be really cool. And then you just go along with it. Is that something you find your brain doing, trying to make those connections? Or do sometimes you have to fight against and go, no, this needs to be standalone stories. Stop trying to intrude on each other. I mean, definitely. I, I think that essentially if my brain goes, oh, that's cool, then I'll probably try it at least and <laughs> see, see if it works. Sometimes one of the hardest things about writing is is realising when you're finished. And for me some of the stories didn't feel finished until I tied them into the kind of possible world's title story. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, that's what all of these stories were actually trying to do. So it, it was, the world building was also a bit like a, a realization while I was writing. It was kind of like, oh, okay, this is, this is meant to look like this. This actually makes more sense of the title story um, to have these interconnected elements to it. 
I think it's a, um, it's a good thing you mentioned about what you find interesting. So I think sometimes that really comes across when a writer's enjoying it and not just trying to build for an imaginary audience. Because I think you can tell sometimes when you read someone's work of they're really trying hard to connect rather than, you know what, this is just fun and I'm enjoying it. So that, that definitely comes across. And you mentioned sort of your academic background. I was wondering how much of an overlap is there between your academic studies of and teachings of philosophy and ethics and science fiction in general is there much of an overlap for you I mean there's an overlap um in the sense that it's something that I'm currently working on um like the how um, fiction can actually um help us understand um like philosophical problems and so on but I do think that science fiction and all fiction really is is a good vehicle for understanding complex concepts um and you know philosophers will regularly use thought experiments and those thought experiments often seem like mini science fiction stories it it doesn't it doesn't seem unnatural to then kind of go okay here's here's this here's this kind of philosophical story that kind of gets at um and some of these um ideas that we're looking at um I don't have like a science fiction and philosophy course, but I know a few philosophers who do, and they t- they teach both, so they use the fiction alongside academic papers, and you know, so it's becoming more of a thing, I would say. Um, and I do I do have a workshop that I that I give on on this, and it's great fun because it's like philosophy students. Sometimes it's the first time they've like written something that creative and some of them are like the last time I did it um last year it was it was really good like there's some people who were very very talented I didn't realize it <laughs> um and it was just very very nice to to do something like that I think that philosophy is such a it's something that everyone kind of naturally does when they're little you know asking why all the time um and academic philosophy can be a little bit insular and a little bit um, kind of dry <laughs> and so like having a way in by a fiction is like a way in for a lot of people so I fully support more and more people like understanding philosophy this way because I I think it's you know important for everyone reminding ourselves that philosophy is something we do naturally as kids seems like something really important to hold on to right now. The joy of being curious and open-minded and wanting to explore everything. Checking my notes, there is definitely an element of childlike wonder at the heart of this collection. Even the word possible in the title makes it playful. Well, it's possible these worlds could exist. I also made frequent notes about references to being judged and characters reborn in different ways. Rachel said there was no grand plan to the themes when the stories were being written, but it became clearer in the editing process. But we then got onto the recurring discussions of identity, particularly how identity wasn't fixed in a specific entity. It felt like a very now topic. I think that, I mean, part of it will be kind of like philosophy influenced anyway, because that's just how I've kind of been trained to think. But I, I honestly think a lot of the identity stuff, because it comes out in my poetry as well, I think a lot of the identity stuff is me realising that I'm non-binary fairly late in life um, and kind of coming out as bi fairly late in life as well. And like those 
so so that means that like I've had like a lot of identity questions on my mind anyway and so when there's like a big theme of identity coming out of all of this I'm like okay that makes sense because I was writing this during the years that I was thinking about this for me and not thinking about it in terms of oh I'll put this into a story but yeah it just obviously naturally comes out I I think that me kind of thinking about my own identity like goes into like a, a lot of the stuff that I end up writing the way that sci-fi can transport here and now issues and interrogate them in wildly different settings has always been appealing, even if some iconic actors seem to have recently forgotten their own lines. Well, here's one thing you can be sure of, mister. Leave any bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. Do I make myself clear? You do, sir. Perhaps less known amongst non-sci-fi fans is the prevalence of a particular type of humour. As a teen, my first experience of this was on TV. Not the big grand shows of American TV, but a very British show. Red Dwarf came to mind reading this book as the humour was baked in from the first pages and I'm not someone who often laughs out loud at books or shows. There's a real sense of joy in the absurd here. Yeah, I, I think that's just generally what I'm like. <laughs> um, so um, I also do this in lectures, <laughs> trying to make people laugh, um, because I think that that's, it, it just feels like a very natural way of communicating to me. Um, and so it makes sense to my characters to also have that kind of humour. It's It's, it's very rare that one of those stories doesn't have that. And absurdity, I've always found that very interesting. I've always um, liked that. Um, there's a thing in philosophy where if the conclusion of your argument um, would make the situation you're thinking about too absurd, then that argument is not a good one. The idea is called argument ad absurdum. Philosophers love Latin. Um, but yeah, the idea is your argument leads to absurd stuff, so it can't it can't be legit. Red Dwarf is the kid completely. Um, Terry Pratchett, I remember like the school librarian introduced me to to him. She was like, just trust me. I've always loved that that kind of that kind of humor, um, and that kind of again, it just it just feels so natural to me that there would be a kind of silliness that the because in day to day life people are like that like that is how they react to stuff people don't always react in this kind of very solemn kind of you know noir bbc drama kind of way to help give you an idea of what to expect when you order your copy of this book i asked the most awkward question is there a book or tv show that you might say well if you like that you might like my book and to be clear this isn't rachel comparing their book here it's more like the suggestions you get on a streaming platform based on your viewing history. I think that if you like kind of um, science fiction, but with humour, so if you like uh, the likes of Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams, um, you know, if you enjoyed Red Dwarf as a child <laughs> um, or as an adult, um, then you might kind of like some of the tone. I think that the kind of humorous tone that kind of is almost in every story is something that you you either love or hate <laughs> you have to be prepped for that um 
Um, so yeah, I think that if you if you enjoy kind of um kind of multiverse stories, you might like it from that aspect. Um, so there are plenty of those out at the moment in in film and in books. Um, so and also if you if you like philosophical questions, if you like asking questions about identity and justice and authority and you know all the kind of serious things, but if you like asking those questions and hearing about them in a kind of slightly different way, then, then you'll probably enjoy the collection as well. And as it's always nice to get some tips on something to look out for, I asked if there's currently any books, podcasts or TV shows that Rachel is recommending to people they meet. Ooh, so um, Adrian Tchaikovsky's um, architecture um, series or architect series um that's absolutely fabulous um really really thoroughly enjoying it and one of those books that um you are just deep in that world uh, within a few pages it's very very well done um and Anne Leckie's Ancillary Justice is the first book in the Ancillary series and I highly highly recommend that as well um I would recommend that to anyone <laughs> looking to get into into sci-fi because it is it is wonderful a massive thank you to Rachel for taking the time to chat to me. And you can get your copy of Possible Worlds and other stories right now online and in bookstores. And you can find Rachel by searching Dr. Rachel Handley across social media. And you can find the link in the show notes for this episode and on the episode page at thebiscuitreviews.co.uk. And I nearly forgot to give my biscuit rating for Possible Worlds and other stories. As you might have gathered, I thoroughly enjoyed this collection and it was surprising, thought-provoking, and joyfully absurd at times. So there was really only one choice for these little bites of sugary joy. Mini ice gems. Delicious and great for sharing. A quick reminder that you can find all previous podcasts and written reviews on the website at thebiscuitreviews.co.uk, where you can also watch the short video versions. If you are so inclined, you can also get those on TikTok and Instagram. Links are on the website. To call Adrian Tchaikovsky a prolific writer is a bit like saying Imelda Marcos light shoes. You know what? I can't even remember Imelda Marcos, and I don't think I ever saw any of her shoes. It's just one of those weird things that stayed in my brain. He has written 27 novels in 15 years, and that's not counting novellas or short story collections. And before anyone says, ah, but it's about quality, not quantity, it's hard to argue that Tchaikovsky doesn't deliver both as a winner of the Arthur C. Clarke Award for Science Fiction, in fact, he won that for Children of Time, the first in a trilogy which recently concluded with Children of Memory. Mistrust of those outside of our group debates about what intelligence actually is and that who we are isn't governed by the bodies we inhabit. Children of Memory takes very now topics and blasts them thousands of light years away into the future and plants them into something of a philosophical horror story. This probably isn't the most cheery way to start a book review, but look, you know, bear with me a moment. It doesn't take a huge leap of the imagination to look at the world around us, to look at the news, and come to the conclusion along the lines of, huh, these humans might not be able to stick this out for much longer on this planet. And the question, could the human race make a home and continue on another planet, doesn't seem that preposterous. And we know that for starters, there have been projects looking at how people might survive not just a trip to Mars, but living on the red planet in the short term. 
But what might the survival of the human race look like far into the future? Don't worry, I'm not going to fling around any big spoilers, but with this being the final book in a trilogy, I kind of have to mention the first two in order to do justice to this last one. When I read the first book, Children of Time, a few years ago, I can still recall just how impressed I was with the imaginative and creative world building. We are into the far future and ships have been sent across the universe to attempt to terraform suitable planets. One mission sets out to start again with the human race by sending monkeys to live on a planet and to use a nanovirus that will speed their evolution. Conflict on Earth reaches the stars and the plan goes awry, causing a whole different species to evolve. In the second book, we are taken to two neighbouring planets where humans have succeeded again in terraforming one of them and populating it with an evolved species courtesy of the nanovirus. Eventually a war breaks out and there is a further link to the first book to help resolve it. Now I really hope I'm explaining this in a way that doesn't make it sound massively complicated. But you'll have to believe me that Tchaikovsky's attention to detail and masterful description of the science aspects make it vivid and also incredibly logical and easy to imagine. When we arrive at Children of Memory, we get to meet a surviving human crew on an ark ship carrying thousands of people who have been in suspended animation for a millennia journey across the stars. The crew have been woken intermittently to keep the vessel on track, but now it's time for Captain Holst to lead his tattered crew and their world-building tech down onto the planet Ymir and try to build a new civilization. The heart of this story follows Lif, a teenage girl who has grown up on the planet as a descendant of those first settlers. It is a little like tales of the families making a life on the old wild west frontier. Trouble with livestock, crops, natural disasters, and an increasing superstition about what is to blame for their troubles. Or is it more than superstition? Is there perhaps something really out there sabotaging their community? And why do events seem to be repeating for Lyft? She sets out to find the wit in the woods as she searches for answers that her dreams keep promising her. There is a lurking sense of dread and a haunting creepiness to this desolate world and it manages to highlight some of the best qualities of human beings alongside some of our worst. The questions, what really is intelligence and what really makes us who we are, take turns in being very simple and then not simple at all. I got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore, right? <laughs> Quite often in science fiction, alien worlds or species don't stray too far from the familiar. With Tchaikovsky's work, it's almost like that's an insult to the very notion of evolution. He takes current ideas around genetic and bioengineering, nanotech and AI, and has enormous fun exploring how they might develop into the distant future. I don't think it's that far-fetched to suggest that there are more original ideas in this novel than we have seen in the last few years from major movie studios. New life forms are intricately mapped out with a full evolutionary history and social structures, as well as detailed physiology. I particularly enjoyed how the idea of a shared history and knowledge can be passed down genetically through generations, and how communication has developed in radically different ways. There is a precision to the writing that ensures everything weird and new is described with clarity. It's kind of like the opposite of those vague and generic house descriptions that estate agents are so fond of. As someone who enjoys being able to picture everything and isn't a fan of having too many unanswered questions, this style is immensely appealing. By the end of this book, I had grown quite attached to the unique space gang that was exploring the universe, and I will hold out hope 
that it is a series that the author might return to at some point. For those of you that like a big book, if you get into this series, you get three big books to keep you going. How satisfying is the whomp noise you get when you close a big hardback book? Very, very satisfying. My biscuit rating for Children of Memory is Le Petit Biscotte Crunchy Cinnamon and Brown Sugar Biscuits. They're just like these little crispy bites of joy. Unique, slightly exotic, with a rich, complex taste. Look, if you're still not sure what these biscuits are, go to the website and there's a picture, thebiscuitreviews.co.uk, where you can also find the written review for Children of Memory and also older episodes and reviews of books, TV shows and podcasts. Is there a hidden gem of a book, TV show or podcast that you recommend to people? If so, we could share it here at The Biscuit Reviews. You could share your thoughts in written form, record a short voice memo, or perhaps we could record a conversation for the podcast. Totally up to you. You can find the contact info and social media accounts at thebiscuitreviews.co.uk. Cheers. Thanks again to Dr. Rachel Handley, and thanks to you for listening. I'm off for a brew in a bicky, so until next time, ta-ra.